Amen. Well, you may be seated. And uh, what a welcome I got, right? It's great to see you all. And, uh, you know, I want to say Merry Christmas or Happy Easter, but I'm just saying Happy uh, Grand Opening. It's really good to have you all here. Um, in fact, I'm going to talk about just what the Lord has done at the end of the service. But right now, I just want to open up God's Word and see what God has to say for us. So I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, if you would, and find your way to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a, a black Bible in, fr- in the pew in front of you, and you can find Ephesians chapter 4 on page 918. And the reason we open up God's Word every week is because this is God's love letter to us. God has written a book. This is inspired by the Holy Spirit for us. In fact, we're told in 1 Timothy 3, 16, 17, that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for, for doctrine, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is a, it's like a guidebook for life. Well, in many ways, the church is like a worship team, and I'm very thankful for our worship team. You know, a worship team is made up of different individuals, Different instruments, different gifts, all playing different parts under the leadership, hopefully, of the worship leader. And when these different voices and different instruments and different harmonies all work together in unity with the desire to glorify God, you have beautiful worship. It's all about God. But if everybody on the worship team starts thinking, well, it's about me. It's about my voice. It's about my instrument. It's about my ideas. What do you have? You have chaos. So the analogy to the church is very similar. In a church, you have have differing people, differing gifts, differing instruments, differing voices. But when we use them under the leadership of Jesus Christ, it can be beautiful, harmonious, and glorifying. But when we focus on our own selves, our own agendas, our own personal desires, unity can take hold, and the body can become very disjointed. Now, God's desire is we would live in unity. Not in uniformity, but in unity. In fact, we saw that last week as we began our, our, our study in Ephesians chapter 4. And Ephesians chapter 4 is really a turning point in this letter. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus, a church that he had spent three years in, church where he loved the people. And so he wrote this letter to help them understand who God is, what he had done through his son Jesus Christ, and then how they are to live. And so chapter 4 is this turning point, and you see it in in. In, in verse 1 where he says, I therefore a prisoner of the Lord. That word therefore, it becomes this transition. In fact, in chapters 1 through 3, he talks about all who we are in Christ and what Christ has done. The fact that God has blessed you, that he chose you, that he has adopted you, that he loves you, that he gave you an inheritance, he forgave you, he redeemed you. He sealed you until the day of redemption. He enlightened you. He, he raised you. 
He brought you near when you were far. He gave you peace when you were at enmity. He, he gave you access to God. He revealed mysteries to you, and he did above and beyond what we could have ever thought or imagined. And, and so Paul is saying, as a result of all that God has done, this is how I want you now to live. And the first thing he talks about, he says, I want you to live in unity. And unity is very important. But if you look around this room, you have a lot of diversity. So what he did last week, what we looked at last week in verses 1 through 6, is how we live in unity, but now unity in the context of diversity. Because we have a very diverse group of people, as you saw on the worship team, you got a pretty diverse group of people. But when they were all working in harmony, under the leadership of the worship leader, great worship. And that is the church. That's what the church should be like. So Paul said in verse 3, he says, about those who now understand what God has done for them. He, he, he talks about them, unity to keep, the, or, or, or um, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. But now in this next part, he, he talks about how we live in diver, with our diverse gifts together. So the big idea of this message today is really similar to what it was last week. And I'll put it on the screen. We walk worthy of our calling because Paul says, I urge you as a prisoner for the Lord to walk worthy in a manner, uh, to, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, verse 1. So we walk worthy of our calling by walking in the character of Christ, by standing on the doctrines of Christ, by using our spiritual gifts. And I change this one up a little bit. And by growing towards maturity. Look at verse 7. He says, but, so once again, there's a change. There's a shift in the tenor of the text. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunningness, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds, up, it builds itself up in love. Now that's a mouthful. So we're going to talk about that. How do we walk worthy? Four ways. First way we talked about last week. By walking in the character of Christ. And we saw in verse 2 the, the four different characters he talked about. In humility. In gentleness. In patience. In bearing with one another in love. By walking in the character of Christ. When we, when we walk in humility. When we walk with gentleness versus harshness. When we walk in patience versus in impatience, when we are loving, 
that creates unity. I mean, just think about that in your own marriage, if you're married or in your workplace, how a little bit of humility goes a long way to bring people together. But not only by walking in the character of Christ, but unity comes by standing. Walking worthy comes by standing on the doctrines of Christ. And we talked about seven different doctrines that we saw in verses four through six, all beginning with the word one. Speaking of one spirit, or excuse me, one body. That's the church, the church of Jesus Christ. We sang about it, that last song. Those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. One spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. One hope, that's hope of eternity, hope of the return of Christ. That's not a hope so, but a no so, because who Christ is and what he's done on the cross for us. Uh, uh, one Lord, that's Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the one who came, who lived, who died, who was raised, that we could have eternal life. One faith, that's faith in the word of God. That's faith in the fact that there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. It's, we are saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves. One baptism, that's not, as we saw last week, that's not water baptism, but that's the baptism of the Spirit. That's being the moment we receive Christ, we, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And finally, one God. That's the first person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who is in all, over all, and through all. When we stand on those doctrines, there is unity. But then he moves to the verse 7, but... And that is we walk worthy by using our spiritual gifts. By using your spiritual gifts. He now talks about unity happening in the context of diversity. Notice what he says in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. God graced us when we received Christ. He gave each one of us a gift. That's a spiritual gift. The moment we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, we we. We now are indwelt with the Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, and we are given a gift. And notice, it says each one. When you look around, you have to realize if you are in Christ, you have been given a gift. Not just the gift of the church, but you've been given a spiritual gift. Each one of us has been grace. It's, it's grace. We didn't deserve it. We didn't merit it. And it was apportioned by Christ. Notice what it says. According to the measure of Christ's gifts. Now the question is, what are the gifts for? If God has given me a gift, what is it for? Well, I'm not going to have you study it today, but you may want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It really speaks all about it. In, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, uh, 12, verse 7, it says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. What? For the common good. In fact, it says prior to that, that there's a variety of gifts, there's a variety of services, there's, there's, there's varieties of activities, but to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. First Peter says this, 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, he says, use it, this is important, to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Unity takes place. In fact, we walk worthy when we're eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace when we use the gifts that God has gifted us, not for our own edification, but for one another. 
And I'm going to talk about this at the end of the service, about how God just did that in amazing ways in getting us this place. And it is, it is an amazing God story. Now, verse 8 through 10 gets a little bit wonky. And, and, and let me read it again, and you're just like, what does that mean? Notice what he says. He says, therefore it says, what is it? He's speaking of the Old Testament. He's speaking of the Psalms. He's speaking of what Scripture says, God's Word. He says, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And then he, he, he has a parenthetical statement. He says, in saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fulfill all things. What this is, is Old Testament confirmation of the fact that we have been given gifts. Now, he quotes in verse 8, Psalm 68, 18. And in Psalm 68, 18, you see how the king returns. He goes back, in fact, back in in, in Old Testament times, most towns were built up on a hill. So he ascended up on the hill after a victory, and what he did was he took all the spoil of the victory and he distributed it to those people in his kingdom. And so what we see here is Paul is using that imagery of Jesus Christ that after he ascended into heaven and sent down the Holy Spirit, he distributed his gifts to those that are part of his kingdom. So he says, in saying he ascended, what does it mean? Verse 9, but they also descended into the lower regions of the earth. That's the gospel. That's the good news. It's a picture of the fact that Jesus Christ laid aside his royal robes. He descended into this world. He became a man. He took on human flesh. Why? So he could live a perfect sinless life and die as the perfect spotless lamb. For our sins. He was buried and on the third day he was raised. And then he ascended to heaven after 40 days. The Holy Spirit came and distributed gifts. That's what we see in verses 8 and 9. So the Lord descended here on earth so you could have eternal life. So that Jesus would die in your place on the cross. But he ascended to give you a gift. So here's the question. Are you using your gift? I mean, think about this. Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, came into this world, died, so we could have eternal life for those that put their faith and trust in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he was raised, and he gave us a gift. Based on all that he has done, we should, walk we should walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which you've been called. You've been given a gift. Are you using it? Are you using it for the edification of the body, for the building up of the body? That's what's going on here. God did not gift you so you could do your own thing. He gifted you so you could be a good steward of his gift. Now, God gifted each one of us individually if we're in Christ, but he also gifted the church. And that's what we see happening in verse 11. Notice what he says. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, God gave to the church 
the apostles and prophets, and then the evangelists and the shepherds' teachers. Now, what you see here are two types of gifts God gave to the church. One are the foundational gifts, the prophets and the apostles, and then the building gifts. Now, turn back to Ephesians chapter 2, and you see this in verses 19 and following. In Ephesians chapter 2, he says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. This is for those that are in Christ. We've been adopted into the family. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's an amazing thing to think about. Built, here it is, on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the way we know that the foundation is right is because of the cornerstone. And not only are we just built on this foundation, but the cornerstone is whom? Jesus Christ. Notice what he says. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And then he says, in him, in Jesus, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. When you think about the church, it's an amazing place. Before I came to Christ, I mean, I just, like, all I could do was look down on the church. I had, I had, had no interest in the church at all. But God radically changed that. But the more you understand why Jesus died on the cross and what he did for us, you realize the church is a gift. And the church is an opportunity for us to use what God has given us and to be a good steward so that we can bring him glory. Now, Notice it says, and he gave, verse 11, and he gave the apostles. Who are the apostles? Well, an apostle, it means a sent one. It's a delegate. It's an envoy. And he's speaking here of the 12, the 12 apostles. And then he's also speaking of Paul. Paul calls himself the least of the apostles. It's those that had seen the resurrected Christ. But also the prophets, those that God had given a direct word to those that had been instructed by God to bring a word to the people. That's why you see over and over again in the scriptures, thus saith the Lord. Now, we know that the scripture was, is breathed out by God, but First Peter tells us that the Holy Spirit carried along different people and gave them the word, and then it was written down, and we now have a canon. These were foundational gifts. And the apostles and prophets ceased at the at the end of the apostolic age that's why we have a closed canon that's why our bible isn't you know it doesn't have 2,000 revisions it's perfect it is god's word but not only do we have the foundational gifts but god also gifted the church with building gifts the evangelists and the shepherd teachers now who are the evangelists those who share the good news of who Jesus is and what he did. And we at times think, this is the super Christians. No. This is people are so fired up about the fact that they were dead in their sins, following the prince of the power of the world, but God, being rich in mercy with the great love with which he loved us, he raised us. It had nothing to do with us. And we just got to tell somebody. Now, Pam and I went to, a, we went to a great restaurant last night. In fact, we heard on the news Friday night that it was one of the top three restaurants in the country, and it's Mexican. 
Now, don't you think Phoenix should have more than just a few decent Mexican restaurants? I mean, I grew up in Indiana. I think we had better Mexican restaurants, and that's just wrong. But, but so we heard about it, and so what we did was, I mean, I immediately went on Yelp, and I made a reservation for us. I'm telling you, it was incredible. I'm going to tell everybody about it, but I'm not going to tell you about it because I'm going to keep you on the edge of your seat. <laughs> Actually, it's, I think it's called Casina Madrigal. It's in South Phoenix. Phenomenal. It's really good. But the fact is, we want to tell somebody about a great restaurant. Or we're going to tell somebody about maybe a great car you got or just a, a great game you saw. Why wouldn't we tell people about how to have eternal life? Now, there are certain of those we see here that are gifted in evangelism, but we're all called to share the good news. That's, I mean, that's why Paul, I mean, that's why Jesus, when he, before he was raised, when, before he ascended into heaven, he said in Acts 1.8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the outer edges of the earth. That's, that's, that's who you're called to, to go speak to. But then you have the pastor teachers or the shepherd teachers. It's a word. It, it's really just one word. It's, it's really one office, one person, shepherds and teachers. Those are called, and we see it in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. They're the ones that protect the flock, feed the flock, guide the flock, tend to the flock, love the flock, defend the flock. God has gifted the church with those that are called to be shepherd teachers. Now, I'm kind of humbled by that. David, you definitely ought to be humbled by that. <laughs> no, we, literally, when you realize who we are, but the fact that God has given us that gift, it's really more of a stewardship than anything else. And we have a purpose, and that is to, that's to equip you for the works of the ministry. And that happens as you mature in Christ. You start using your gifts for the glory of God. Okay, that is now the third way you walk worthy, by using your spiritual gifts. And I'm not going to talk about what your gifts are. We're not going to, one of the things people say, well, I just want to know what my spiritual gift is. Here's what I would tell you. Find a place to serve, and God will reveal your spiritual gifts. Clearly. All right. Fourth. We walk worthy by growing towards maturity. Now, if you got notes from last week, I had, I had said we, we walk worthy by equipping others to use their gifts, but really that is the, the third point. So by growing towards maturity. Now again, look at verse 12. He says, to equip the saints. Who are the saints? Like we don't have any stained glass windows, so like how do we know who the saints are? Well, a saint is someone that has received Jesus as Lord and Savior. It means that they've been set apart. It's, it's from the Greek word hagias. And, and so they're set apart, set apart for a purpose. And the fact is we are all saints if we're in Christ. Now, I think some of his parents are thinking, well, my kids don't always act like saints. Well, if they're in Christ, they are. They just, their, their practice isn't matching their position, but don't point a finger too far because you're really talking about yourself too because so often our practice doesn't match our position, but that's okay because as long as we're growing towards maturity, then that's a good thing. But the goal here is maturity. 
helping people to grow. In fact, you're going to see that word growing and mature through these following verses. Now, when Pam and I became Christians 12 years ago, or excuse me, 21 years ago yesterday, we knew nothing about Jesus Christ. We knew nothing about Christianity. I grew up Jewish. She grew up agnostic. I mean, the only thing we knew about Jesus Christ is we used that word as a swear word, which we certainly ask for forgiveness for. We were babes. You know, like, you know, newborn baby. I'm, it's, it's great to see newborn babies here. And, and, and the fact is, newborn babies, what do they eat? Milk. We were, we were babes. We, were, uh, we needed milk. And a, a guy named Mike Fetchner who led us to Christ, he said, listen, on this walk with Christ, you're going to have periods of doubt. And I'm thinking, no kidding, I got a lot of doubt right now. And I'm struggling with this. He says, the way you push the doubt away, he says, four things you need to do. And I've said this many times, but I'm going to repeat it. He says, first thing you do is you read the word of God daily so you know the God of the word. If you want to know this God who has saved you, that came into this world and, 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 and died on the cross in your place, was raised on the third day, Read the word of God. Second thing he said was pray. Pray without ceasing. Now, we didn't know what praying was, but it's really speaking to God. It's communicating with God. The Bible says we are to pray without ceasing. Now, there's a word for that. It's abiding. It's resting in the Lord. So, so he was saying, you, you need to, he didn't use that word at the time because we wouldn't have known what it meant. But abide, to remain, to rest in the Lord, to read, to pray. The third thing he says is be regular in church. Okay, that was going to change our Sunday mornings for sure. And the fourth thing he says was get involved in Bible study and connect with other people. What he was saying is connect in community. So abide in Christ, connect in community. And those are two foundational ways that we mature, where we abide in Christ by spending time with him, by, by, by allowing his word to, to, to remind us of who he is and what he's done for us. But secondly, that we could, we could grow by connecting with others in community, in small groups, and in church question then is what happens if you neglect those spiritual disciplines great question glad you asked it the writer of hebrews tells us in hebrews chapter 5 i'll put it on the screen the writer of hebrews says this for though by this time you ought to be teachers by this time as long as you've been in christ you ought to be teachers you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of god you need milk and not solid food. Why? Verse 13. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. He's just a baby. There's never been maturing. There's never been true growing. He says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, when Pam and I came to Christ, we didn't know any better. And when Mike told us all this, we just got plugged in. We just did, we thought all Christians went to church every week and all Christians read their Bible every day and all Christians pray. But listen, God started to work in us and so he could work through us. Now, when I was in, when I was 16 years old, I, I got, had the opportunity to go on a trip out west. And one of the things I got to do was, was rock climb. Now, I don't know if you've ever been rock climbing before, but it was technical rock climbing where you're using carabiners and using ropes. And I knew nothing. 
And I was totally dependent on those that were teaching us how to do it. We were in the Tetons and doing this, and it's pretty hairy up there. And so I did it. I learned it. And then I went back to Indiana where there's not a whole lot of rock climbing, not a whole lot of mountains. And then I went to college out in California, and when I was 19, I went rock climbing again. I had to start all over again because I had, I had not practiced what I had learned I had not been surrounded by others that could teach me and, and help me and move me along. And over time, I could now start tying all the knots and setting up the, the belay lines, and, and it was great. But then I started working and got away from mountain climbing, and now, I mean, you don't want to go rock climbing with me. I don't want to go rock climbing with me because I'm going to be dangerous. Because I've forgotten it all. That's what, he's, that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. It, that's why it's so important that, and here's, here's what happens so often. And my heart for this church is that we wouldn't just be about the church, those that are believers, but the people that have been de-churched, maybe that have been hurt because of what's happened in another church. And they've kind of just gotten away and it's okay. And we want to bring people along and help them to grow and to mature. That's the heart. That's our heart for the church. If we're not growing towards maturity, we're not walking worthy. So what are some of the results of growing towards maturity? Here's the first one, edification. Edification, we see that again in verse 12. He says, to equip the, uh, the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. That word building up, it's, it's where we get the word edification. It's a construction word. It means building a building block by block, brick by brick. brick. This is slump block in here. I mean, they, they, when, they, when, the, when the Masons were building this, they would place one block upon another. And so that's one of the, the things that happens. The church is built up. It's edified. And the fact is, our job is to equip you so then you now can minister to others. And you grow when you pass on what you have learned. That's one of the greatest ways to learn. I'll never forget... Tony Evans, who's, whose wife just passed away, I was on his board for seven years, he, he says, your discipleship has not really started until you disciple, start discipling others. And that's true, because it's the, if you're a teacher, if anybody in here is a teacher, God bless you, first of all, but you know that the teacher is always the one that learns the most. So as you start passing it on, that's where parents, taking the truths that you learn and passing it on to your kids, that's, that's an opportunity to, to grow. We as a church, we equip through the service, through the worship service, through, through children's ministry. We use the gospel project. It's a, great, it's a great study so that students will learn, our kids will learn the gospel. In our student ministry, David talked about it. They don't just have fun, even though they do have fun. In fact, student ministry is a young man's sport, for sure. We do it through our small groups, through our men's and women's ministry. These are places where, where we can learn and care for one another and comfort one another. And there's mutual ministry in, in the small groups. We, you know, the first hour where we usually have facilitated discussion about a, a, a specific uh, passage. Like right now, we're, our group is going through Romans. I'm not teaching. I'm facilitating discussion because I want to see if other people understand what Paul is saying in his letter to Romans. And then we break up, and it's men with men, women with women, and there's real accountability this is where we grow. This is where iron sharpens iron. And this is where sometimes we have to hear tough truths. 
So one of the results is edification. Second result is, un- is unity. Look at, look at verse 13. In, in, verse, in verse 13, let me get there. He says, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Through teaching of doctrine, through using our gifts, we see a unity of the faith. Disunity is a result of doctrinal ignorance. And that's why we're always going to teach the truths of God's word, because we want people to understand what does God's word say. Unity is a result of growing towards maturity. Third, we see Christ-likeness. Look at verse, look at verse 14. He says, so that, actually, still in verse 13, excuse me. He says, until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Here's what he's saying. When I became a Christian, I was all about the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. I become a Christian, and, and, and what happens is, is there's a thing called repentance. That means turning. I'm going this way towards sin and self, and now I've done a 180 turn, and now I'm going through Christ. And Christ-likeness is me becoming more and more like Christ. Now, I had a long way to go. Because I lived a lot of years away from Christ. And the key is, am I growing in Christ's likeness? What is the direction of my life? I'm not perfect. In fact, I'm far far from it. And if, if you don't believe it, just go talk to my wife or my kids. They will tell you for sure. But the fact is, he says, that we grow in the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure, the stature of the fullness of Christ question you ought to ask yourself is, are you becoming more like Christ? Because you're spending more time with him. Now, I'm not talking about keeping a list of do's and don'ts. Don't confuse religion with a relationship. So often we can get caught up, I've got to just do more. I've got to do harder. Man, that's exhausting. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's about spending time with him. You should become more like Christ by spending more time with him, by abiding, by listening, by learning, by loving. You don't grow closer to your spouse by just doing all your honeydews. You grow closer to your spouse by spending time with them, by interacting with them. By sharing, by listening. Sometimes just sitting. Don't confuse religion with relationship. But also don't confuse activity for Christ with your relationship. And we can just get so caught up in serving and, and we have no time to spend with the Lord. See, we want to be a church of people that have a deep, abiding relationship with Jesus Christ because they spend time with Him. And they're growing in their relationship because of that. You know, sometimes it can just be an intellectual pursuit. I remember when we first came, became believers. For me, it was all about an intellectual pursuit. I mean, I wanted to know everything it said that in there, and I wanted to be able to answer questions because I don't like being ignorant. Well, God used that. What man can mean for evil, God can use for good, and for sure He did. But it's all about a relationship. 
Spiritual fruit comes when we are connected to the vine, to, the, to, to Jesus Christ. So we, we see that, uh, um, that results of growing uh, toward maturity are edification, unity, Christ-likeness, fourth, stability. Stability. Look at verse 14. So that we may no longer be children. He doesn't even say like children. But he says, so that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Parents, you teach your children so they'll what? So they'll grow, so they'll learn, so they'll mature. See, young children are immature. They're unstable. They're untaught. And the idea here is of a helpless child that's going one direction, but all of a sudden sees something shinier. Sees the donut table. And they stop in their tracks and they go back. And the fact is, that's, that's instability. Many false teachers in this world, the Bible warns against false teachers. And, and, and one of the th- reasons we want to teach the Word is we want people to understand what God's Word says. So we're not being like children tossed to and fro like every, by every wind of every doctrine. And, and it, it's the idea of a boat on a, on a storm-tossed sea that doesn't have an, a rudder and you just have no control. Whatever way the, the currents are going or the wind is going is the way you go. And, and our challenge is that you would be like a Berean. In fact, uh, in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, it says this, and it's such a great verse. It says, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They were in Berea. Says they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And I would challenge you to do that. It's like, what does the word of God say? In fact, let me just say this. Be careful of saying, I want to find a church that aligns with my thinking. That's a dangerous place to be. I want to be in a church that aligns with my thinking. No. I want to be in a church that gives me the truth of what God's word says so I can start growing in maturity. In fact, Ephesians, excuse me, Colossians 2.8 says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Man, there's so much philosophy out there. Just turn on the view. No, don't turn on the view. (laughs) Empty deceit, human traditions, but not according to Christ. All right. Again, it all happens through a vital relationship. Fifth, speaking the love in truth. We see that in verse 15. He says, rather speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. There are some people out there that say, you know, I'm just going to tell them the truth. I'm just, I'm just going to lay it all out for them. Sometimes that doesn't go well. But then there's other times we say, you know, I'm not going to upset the apple cart. I, I, I want them to like me. It's like, I'm just, no, I don't want to do that. It is, it, it's been well said that truth without love is brutality. And love without truth is hypocrisy. 
and we're maturing, we're speaking the truth in love. I've had to learn this in many ways. It's a mark of maturity when you share the truth with fellow believers and do it in love. As I mentioned last week, it's not so often what you say, but what? How you say it. We walk worthy of the calling to which we've been called when we speak the truth in love. That's why I love our small group. These guys challenge me. It's iron sharpening iron. And then finally, one more result of growing toward maturity is there's mutual ministry. Look at verse 15 again. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. There it is again. Grow up. Mature. Grow up in every way into him, into Christ. Who is the head? Into Christ. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped. When each part, circle that, when each part is working properly, every one of you is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You have a beautiful worship team. You have a beautiful church. Everybody doing their part, using their gifts for the glory of God under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Our desire for this church is Paul's desire for the church. He said it in first in Colossians, excuse me, Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 and 29. He says, him we proclaim, Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul, that was his life. His, his desire was to present everyone mature in Christ. He says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul lived a life to make sure that the church would mature and grow in Christ, and thus walk a walk that is worthy of the calling to which he's been called. Our vision when we moved here 11 years ago is that we would see lost people saved, saved people matured, mature people multiplied. We're continuing that journey here at Hope. We want you to join us on that journey. If you're not part of a church, we'd love for you to plug in. If you've been de-churched, whatever caused that, man, you have my heart. Because I know that church hurt is a bad hurt. But we'd love to come alongside you and bring you along. And my, my prayer is that a year from now, you won't be saying, I wish I had. But you'll be saying, I'm glad I did. Now I want to end today by celebrating by what the Lord has done. In fact, the Bible is full of accounts of celebrations, right? I mean, you read Noah after the flood subsided. They built an altar to the Lord and they worshiped. They burned an offering. In fact, Moses, after, after the nation was delivered uh, from the Egyptians and they went over across the Red Sea, we saw how, see how in Exodus chapter 15 they sang a song to the Lord. They worshiped. Joshua after God brought him into the promised land, after wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. I mean, come on. I mean, can you imagine wandering in the wilderness for 40 years? What'd they do? They set up an altar and they worshiped. David, when he brought the, the Ark of the Covenant back up into Jerusalem, he danced before the Lord in his fruit of the looms. I mean, I was like, we're not going to do that. Please. Nehemiah, after being in captivity for 70 years, you had, you had Zerubbabel come back and then Ezra come back and they built the temple and then Nehemiah came back and they built the walls in 52 year, 
52 days. And in, in, in Nehemiah chapter 8, they said, bring out the book. And they bring out the Bible. And they, they, they teach and they, they worship. Why were they celebrating? Because God had done a great thing in and through them. And that's why we celebrate. The Lord has done great things in our midst. And I think it's important to kind of just look back and see what the Lord has done. We planted this church 18 months ago with just a handful of us. We asked the Lord to do what only he could do so that when he did it, he would get the glory. And God has done amazing things above and beyond what we could have ever thought or imagined. There were some hard times, for sure. I mean, (laughs) we were meeting Sundays at 4 p.m. at a church that wasn't our own. We had 12 Costco chairs to our name. That was it. But we would worship. And we would open up the word of God and we would meet in community. And we stayed dependent on the Lord. We looked for a permanent home and we had the door shut time after time after time. And I remember thinking to myself, the Lord's getting ready to do something. Don't know what it is. And then I finally listened to my wife and we put an offering on this building. Not always wise to wait, but God's timing is perfect, honey. So we put an offer on this building September 9th. We were told to put in a counter offer on September 22nd. And then we were still low. And so we went into a backup position because the person, the the church that put in the, had the best offer, they were going to move forward. And they, we had every reason to believe that they were going to, they were going to get this building. And so we just started looking again. And then we found out on uh, three weeks later that the escrow was canceled and we went into first position. And we were shocked. And we had three weeks to close escrow. Okay, remember, we got 12 Costco chairs. <laughs> so we closed escrow on, on November 13th and that was an amazing thing in and of itself. Our goal was to be in by Christmas Eve And that's where we saw the body come together, all the different gifts working together in harmony with with the desire of seeing something happen much greater than ourselves, serving one another and serving the Lord. We saw people with finance background, legal background, accounting, real estate, architectural, construction, landscaping, HVAC, design, development, technology, audiovisual, decor, move coordination, servant coordination, and so much more. Everybody working together in harmony, diversity of gifts for the unity of the Spirit. And within five weeks, we moved in here. And this place has gone through a dramatic transformation. Today, we look around and we marvel at what God has done. There's a verse as I close, as our worship team comes up, that I want to I put up on the screen. And this is a verse that has been so encouraging to us. And I pray it's an encouragement to you. It says this. It's Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. He says, remember not the former things. And let me just say this. There's some of you, that may, all, that may be the reason you came here today. Remember not the former things nor consider the things of old. Why? Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? See, one of the great things of when we, when we come to Christ, that old life, it's gone. 
It's dead. It's over. Or maybe we had a misstep in our Christianity. Listen, when we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It can go behind us. He says, consider, remember not the, the former things, consider the, nor consider the things old. I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? You walk in here, man, you ought to perceive it. I do. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. That's a great verse. The Lord is doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? God is working. Come and join us. I'm going to ask you to stand. I, I I want us to celebrate from the depths of our hearts. Because God is doing a new thing. And let us show him our appreciation as we lift up our voices. Father, thank you for the opportunity to open up your word, to share your word, to receive your word. And Father, I pray that you would just move in the hearts right now. Maybe for those that are hurting, that they would just rest in you. For those that are wondering, that they would come back. They would want to know this Jesus that has so changed so many lives. Father, we thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.